Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in deepest, darkest Savannah, this is Obscure, Season 4 in American Tragedy. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black. I don't know why I said the uh, it was the deepest, darkest Savannah. I think I was just looking to add a layer of mystery and foreboding to uh, to this week's episode for no reason other than you know raising the stakes raising raising the tension here as we just plow our way through this tome and it is a tome so let me just give you a quick check in we're on page 140 there are still oh right around 600 pages to go <laughs> so you know i don't know we're just at it. We're at it. We're in it. We're in the thick of it. We're enjoying it. I'm hemorrhaging subscribers to this podcast. Well, hemorrhaging might be an exaggeration, but the audience certainly isn't growing, and that is to be expected because, as I have said all along, this is a very bad idea. But as I, but as I also said, we're in it. We're in the muck of it. We're, we're thigh high in it, and the mud's just getting deeper. What's going on with me? Nothing really. Quite weak here in Savannah. Oh, well, here's here's one thing that's kind of exciting. They're building a, uh, a hotel near us, like a fancy hotel. And part of the hotel is a club, like a, like a private club that you can join. You know, they opened it to locals if you want to join, like joining a social club. So we joined. And it just opened last week for the first time. We went, had some cocktails, and that was it. But eventually there will be, like within the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a pool, there's going to be a gym, there's a spa. So it's like a country club for people who don't like golf or country clubs. 
And consequently, because there's no golf club or tennis club or anything, it's pretty reasonably priced. A lot cheaper than it would be if we joined a country club. So we joined. Fuck it. And the cocktail was pretty good. Although the service was slow. But, I don't know if you just heard my dog make that noise. He went like this. But it was the first night and, you know, they're getting the kinks worked out. Also, Oli, my dog, one of two dogs, had a little surgery last week to remove... You know, old dogs, they get these lumps on their faces or all over their bodies. But Oli had like a little, you know, benign cyst on his face and it was always bleeding. So it was like bleeding all over our bed sheets and our furniture and all this shit. So we, we, we had it taken off and he got his stitches out today and he seems fine. But he did make the following sound, which you may or may not have heard. So, as I said, not much going on. Why don't we just get into the book? We're following the trials, travails, and tribulations of the Griffiths clan of Lycurgus, New York. Most of them in this clan we are not paying too much attention to other than Bella, who is sort of a flighty socialite looking to have her parents build a place up in some lake somewhere so she can hang out with her fancy friends. Her brother is a stick in the mud. Her sister is another stick in the mud. Everybody's a stick in the mud there, but they seem like fine people nonetheless, if a bit haughty. Let's call them haughty. Unlike the other Griffiths in Kansas City, who are really not haughty at all, but they're more, what are they? They're pious, I guess. But but piety comes with its own haughtiness, does it not? It can, anyway, although I I think in this case that accusation is unwarranted. They're not strident in their religiosity. They're not condescending in their religiosity. They're just, you know, missionary folk who are looking to do a little bit of good in the world and failing spectacularly at that. Whereas the other Griffiths, the shirt and collar manufacturing Griffiths, you know, I don't think they're particularly, I don't think they particularly care about doing much good in the world, but they do want to make a lot of money and they have also managed to do that spectacularly. So, you know, one side of the Griffiths clan is rich in spirit, the other is rich in material wealth. And again, this is the constant tension at the heart of American life. How do you reconcile? the profane acquisition of goods with the sacred acquisition of knowledge, wisdom, compassion, empathy, generosity? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that question. I think it's very, very difficult, to be honest. But you're not here for my opinions. I mean, you are, but they're, as always, half-baked and poorly researched. So let's just pick it up, why don't we, with a brand new chapter Book two, chapter 21, in American Tragedy. The head of the Lycurgus branch of the Griffiths, as contrasted with the father of the Kansas City family, was most arresting. Unlike his shorter and more confused brother of the Door of Hope, it seems unnecessary and frankly mean to call him shorter. Why is that relevant? Why is that relevant at all? Ted, I mean, can't we just say that, well, I mean, he called him shorter and more confused. So it seems like perhaps the attitude here is 
of the, the brother, not necessarily of Dreiser. The more confused brother of the Door of Hope, whom he had not even seen for 30 years. Okay, so unlike his shorter and more confused brother. Okay, he was a little above the average in height, very well-knit, although comparatively slender, shrewd of eye, and incisive, both as to manner and speech. Long used to contending for himself, and having come by effort as well as results to know that he was above the average in acumen and commercial ability, he was inclined at times to be a bit intolerant of those who were not. He was not ungenerous or unpleasant in manner, but always striving to maintain a calm and judicial air. And he told himself, by way of excuse for his mannerisms, that he was merely accepting himself at the value that others placed upon him and all those who, like himself, were successful. Okay, a lot to unpack there. Let's just uh, spend a second with it. Long used to contending for himself. And so, okay, so I guess the reason to add the thing about height is not so much to uh, belittle the other Griffiths brother, but actually to do a kind of literary trick here. He's saying he's slightly above average in height, okay, but, and, but far above average, apparently, in making money, acumen and commercial ability. So he, he doesn't have a, a particular uh, physical stature. In fact, he's described as rather slim, and just above average in height, but he does have a brain for bidness. And as somebody who has no brain for bidness, I have to say there is something admirable in that. The wife and I routinely talk about how badly we fucked up our lives by, you know, she was a comparative literature major, <laughs> I was a theater major and a dropout, and neither of us have any sense or sensibility in our lives when it comes to financial matters, it's amazing to me that I am not living in a box under an overpass somewhere with just how dumb I am when it comes to financial matters. You know, it's not like I'm stupid, like I understand money. I just have no aptitude for creating wealth and so be it. Having arrived in Lycurgus about 25 years before, with some capital, and a determination to invest in a new collar enterprise which had been proposed to him, he had succeeded thereafter beyond his wildest expectations, and naturally he was vain about it. His family at this time, 25 years later, unquestionably occupied one of the best as well as the most tastefully constructed residences in Lycurgus. They were also esteemed as among the few best families of this region, being, if not the oldest, at least among the most conservative, respectable, and successful in Lycurgus. His two younger children, if not the eldest, were much to the front socially in the younger and gayer set, and so far nothing had happened to weaken or darken his prestige. Well, that sounds like foreshadowing, doesn't it? Nothing, so far, nothing had happened. Okay, so the two younger children are Bella and, what's his name, Gil? Is that the son? 
Gilbert, yeah, who they call Gil. And uh, the oldest, of course, being Myra, the bookish future spinster. She's too young at this point in her life to be considered a spinster, but it seems unlikely she will find love because she skulks around the place like some Edgar Allan Poe character. On returning from Chicago on this particular day, after having concluded several agreements there which spelled trade, harmony, and prosperity for at least one year, he was inclined to feel very much at ease and on good terms with the world. Nothing had occurred to mar his trip. In his absence, the Griffiths Collar and Shirt Company had gone on as though he had been present. Trade orders at the moment were large. So, yeah, I mean, all is well with this Griffith's brother. He is among the most moneyed in his community, the most successful, the most respectable, um, I mean, the most conservative, back when conservative actually had a kind of definition to it, no longer the case. Now, as he entered his own door, he threw down a heavy bag and fashionably made coat and turned to see what he rather expected, Bella hurrying toward him. Indeed, she was his pet, the most pleasing and different and artistic thing, as he saw it, that all his years had brought to him. Youth, health, gaiety, intelligence, and affection, all in the shape of a pretty daughter. Oh, Daddy, she called most sweetly and enticingly, as she saw him enter. Is that you? Yes, and at least it feels a little like me at the present moment. How's my baby girl? And he opened his arms and received the bounding form of his last born. Well, there's a good, strong, healthy girl, I'll say, he announced as he withdrew his affectionate lips from hers. And how's the bad girl been behaving herself since I left? No fibbing this time. Oh, just fine, Daddy. You can ask anyone. I couldn't be better. Okay, so, uh, he calls her a good, strong, healthy girl and kisses her on the lips. These are just kind of anachronisms. Like, you know, do I ever kiss my daughter on the lips? I can't say I do, you know? Uh, do I ever kiss my son on the lips? No, not really. Do I ever kiss my wife on the lips? Again, no. But these are different times, and uh, I sort of like that he calls her the bad girl, no fibbing, he asks. So there's been some sort of episode in the past which involves Bella telling a lie. She says, I couldn't be better. And your mother? Well, she's all right, Daddy. She's up in her room. I don't think she heard you come in. And Myra, is she back from Albany yet? Yes, she's in her room. I heard her playing just now. I just got in myself a little while ago. Playing? What does that mean? I heard her playing just now. Piano? Or Wii Sports? What is she playing? I hi, gadding about again. No, so he, okay, so he says, I just got in myself a little while ago. And then he says, I hi, A-Y, comma, H-A-I. I hi. I don't know what the hell that means. Hi. I think it's just like a, like a jangly expression of what? Acknowledgement? I hi, gadding about again. I know you. He held up a genial forefinger warningly while Bella swung onto one of his arms and kept pace with him up the stairs to the floor above. Oh, no, I wasn't either now, she cooed shrewdly, 
and sweetly. Just see how you pick on me, Daddy. I was the only one over with Sandra for a little while. And what do you think? Oh, I was only over with Sandra for a little while. And what do you think, Daddy? They're going to give up the place at Greenwood and build a big, handsome bugalo up on Twelfth Lake right away. And Mr. Finchley's going to buy a big electric launch for Stuart, and they're going to live up there next summer, maybe all the time from May until October, and so are the Cranstons, maybe. Mr. Griffiths, long used to his younger daughter's wiles, was interested at the moment, not so much by the thought that she wished to convey that Twelfth Lake was more desirable socially than Greenwood, as he was by the fact that the Finchleys were able to make this sudden and rather heavy expenditure for social reasons only. Bum, bum, I don't care. So, we'll take a break, and then, in a moment, I will explain why I don't care. Back in a moment on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back in Obscure, and... You know, I just mentioned that I don't care. My interest is starting to flag, and here is why. I don't care about the problems of Richie Rich and his Richie Rich family. At the moment, I, I did mention Sense and Sensibility earlier because it seems to me that we are entering onto a kind of American Jane Austen territory. Here we are dealing with social climbings and social positioning, jockeying, and, and it's not, in the hands of Austin, fabulous, great, because she's funny, and it seems like she's making fun of it as she's describing it. Here, I don't feel like Dreiser has a particularly great sense of humor in general, although the book is kind of funny, but I think it has more to do with me finding things funny than him intending them to be so. I don't, one of the things that I like about American literature is that 
it concerns itself less with the higher-born castes and more with the sort of everyday hurly-burly tumblings of life. It's a more meritocratic literature than its European neighbors, why don't we say? And I look, am I right? I may not be. What the hell do I know? But it seems that way to me. And so when Dreiser now is getting into the politics of the upper crust, I'm less interested. I don't care. But we're still early days with the Lycurgus Griffiths. And so, and, and also it's been super repetitive with Bella telling every single person in her family about the goddamn boat launch that the Finchleys are building for Stuart for social reasons alone. Let's go back to it. Instead of answering Bella, he went on upstairs and into his wife's room. He kissed Mrs. Griffiths, looked in upon Myra, who came to the door to embrace him, and spoke of the successful nature of the trip. One could see by the way he embraced his wife that there was an agreeable understanding between them, no disharmony. By the way, he greeted Myra that if he did not exactly sympathize with her temperament and point of view, at least he included her within the largesse of his affection. As they were talking, Mrs. Truesdale announced that dinner was ready, and Gilbert, having completed his toilet, now entered. I say, Dad, he called, I have an interesting thing I want to see you about in the morning, can I? All right, I'll be there. Come in about noon. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I'm just laughing because I can't quite imagine me having a similar conversation with my son where we're basically scheduling times to talk. Again, this is just, you know, a reflection of the times and, and of the differing relationships between parents. And also, I guess it's worth pointing out that in addition to their filial relationship, uh, young Griffiths also works for his father. So there's, there's a business relationship there as well. Come on all or the dinner will be getting cold, admonished Mrs. Griffiths earnestly, and forthwith Gilbert turned and went down, followed by Griffiths, who still had Bella on his arms, and after him came Mrs. Griffiths and Myra, who now emerged from her room and joined them. Who do you think Myra would vote for? Let's just think quickly about who these people would vote for. So, Mr. Griffiths and Mrs. Griffiths, undoubtedly Republicans of the country club sort, but also practical, and they know where their bread is buttered. I suspect they would reluctantly vote Trump in, uh, in this election. Myra, I think, is going to be more of a a Bernie bro type, you know, maybe she's, she might be looking at RFK pretty seriously, you know, she might be taking a good hard look at RFK. Bella doesn't vote. And Gil Griffiths, you know, he'll probably vote Trump and mean it, you know, he, I think he's, he's probably a Trump, probably a Trump guy through and through. As for the other Griffiths, oh, what are they going to vote? Clyde, will Clyde vote? I mean, he's too young to vote. I think he's 16 or 17. But if he were to vote, he would vote... Oh, that's a tough one. What is Clyde? Clyde might vote Trump, too. You know, he's kind of the Alex Keaton in his family. His parents probably go Biden. He goes Trump. And the other kids, we don't know. Oh, his sister, she's going to vote Biden as well. 
you know, probably over the whole abortion thing. Not that she would have gotten the abortion, but she certainly thinks she had the right to decide for herself. So now we know where they're all aligned politically. Um, once seated at the table, the family forthwith began discussing topics of current local interest. For Bella, who was the family's chief source of gossip, gathering the most of it from Snedeker School, <laughs> through which all the social news appeared to percolate most swiftly, suddenly announced, What do you think, Mama? Rosetta Nicholson, that niece of Mrs. Diston Nicholson, who was over here last summer from Albany, you know, she came over the night of the alumni garden party on our lawn, you remember? The young girl with the yellow hair and squinty blue eyes? Her father owns that big wholesale grocery over there. Well... She's engaged to that Herbert Tickham of Utica, who was visiting, oh, shut up, who was visiting Mrs. Lambert last summer. You don't remember him, but I do. He was tall and dark and sort of awkward and awfully pale, but very handsome. Oh, a regular movie hero. There you go, Mrs. Griffiths, interjected Gilbert shrewdly and cynically to his mother. A delegation from the Mrs. Snedeker Select School sneaks off to the movies to brush up on heroes from time to time. Oh, shut up, Gilbert. You little, you little panty-waisted nincompoop. Griffith Sr. suddenly observed, I had a curious experience in Chicago this time, something I think the rest of you will be interested in. He was thinking of an accidental encounter two days before in Chicago between himself and the eldest son, as it proved to be, of his youngest brother, Asa. Interesting, that sounds like Clyde Griffiths. Also of a conclusion he had come to in regard to him. Okay, so happily now, we have moved from the, uh, the doings of the uh, rich Griffiths clan to the introduction of the poor Griffiths clan. And for that, we are grateful because I am interested in Clyde. I am not so interested in these Lycurgus Griffiths with all their money and talk of electric boat launches. So thank you, Mr. Dreiser, for getting us right into it. Okay. Oh, what is it, Daddy? pleaded Bella at once. Do tell me about it. Spin the big news, Dad. Spin the big news. I like that, added Gilbert, who, because of the favor of his father, felt very free and close to him always. Well, I was in Chicago at the Union League Club. I met a young man who was related to us, a cousin of you three children, by the way, the eldest son of my brother Asa, who is out in Denver now, I understand. I haven't seen or heard from him in 30 years. He paused and mused dubiously. Why is he musing dubiously? He's doubtful that he's musing? What does that mean? He mused dubiously. Don't care for that. Well, not the one who's a preacher somewhere, Daddy, inquired Bella, looking up. Yes, the preacher. At least I understand he was for a while after he left home. But his son tells me that he's given that up now. He's connected with something in Denver, a hotel, I think. But wait, 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 what? So clearly, some time has elapsed here because... Clyde is now in Chicago. The family's in Denver. Somebody's working at a hotel, and it doesn't seem like it's Clyde. But what's his son like, interrogated Bella, who only knew such well-groomed and ostensibly conservative youths and men as her present social status and supervision permitted, and in consequence was intensely interested, 
the son of a Western hotel proprietor. Cousin, how old is he? asked Gilbert instantly, curious as to his character and situation and ability. Well, he's a very interesting young man, I think, continued Griffiths, tentatively and somewhat dubiously. Okay, so twice he's dubious. Since up to this hour he had not truly made up his mind about Clyde. He's quite good-looking and well-mannered, too, about your age, I should say, Gil, and looks a lot like you, very much so. Same eyes and mouth and chin. He looked at his son examiningly. He's a little bit taller, if anything, and looks a little thinner, though I don't believe he really is. <laughs> looks a little thinner, but nah, he's probably not. <laughs> Just extra words. We don't need those extra words. At the thought of a cousin who looked like him, possibly as attractive in every way as himself, and bearing his own name, Gilbert chilled and bristled slightly. For here in Lycurgus, up to this time, he was well and favorably known as the only son and heir presumptive to the managerial control of his father's business, and to at least a third of the estate, if not more. And now, if by any chance it should come to light that there was a relative, a cousin of his own years, and one who looked and acted like him even, he bridled at the thought. Forthwith, a psychic reaction which he did not understand and could not very well control. He decided that he did not like him, could not like him. Okay, so we're, we're entering into Wuthering Heights territory here, are we not? With Clyde Griffiths playing the role of Heathcliff. And Mr. Griffiths playing the role of Heathcliff's patron, whose name I cannot remember, and the son, whose name I cannot remember at the moment, etc., etc., etc. So, we're, but we're entering into that kind of landscape where jealousy, petty jealousies and rivalries and class are all going to come to the fore. Well, what's he doing now? He asked in a curt and rather sour tone though he attempted to avoid the latter element in his voice. Well, he hasn't much of a job, I must say, smiled Samuel Griffiths meditatively. He's only a bellhop in the Union League Club in Chicago at present, but a very pleasant and gentlemanly sort of a boy, I will say. I was quite taken with him. In fact, because he told me there wasn't much opportunity for advancement where he was, and that he would like to get into something where there was more chance to do something and be somebody, I told him that if he wanted to come on here and try his luck with us, we might do a little something for him. Give him a chance to show what he could do, at least. He had not intended to set forth at once the fact that he had become interested in his nephew to this extent, but rather to wait and thrash it out at different times with both his wife and son. But the occasion having seemed to offer itself, he had spoken. And now that he had, he felt rather glad of it, for because Clyde so much resembled Gilbert, he did want to do a little something for him. But Gilbert bristled and chilled the while Bella and Myra, if not Mrs. Griffiths, who favored her only son in everything, even to preferring him to be without a blood relation or other rival of any kind, rather warmed to the idea. A cousin who was a Griffiths and good-looking, and about Gilbert's age, and who, as their father reported, was rather pleasant and well-mannered. That pleased Bella and Myra, while Mrs. Griffiths, noting Gilbert's face darken, was not so moved. He would not like them. He would not like him, right? But out of respect for her husband's authority and general ability in all things, she now remained silent. 
not so, Bella. Oh, you're going to give him a place, are you, Dad? She commented. That's interesting. I hope he's better looking than the rest of our cousins. <laughs> She's already mentally fucking her cousin. Again, like, I know it's just a thing that people used to do. And she's never met him or anything, but still, kind of gross. Bella chided Mrs. Griffiths while Myra, recalling a gauche uncle and cousin who had come on from Vermont several years before to visit them a few days, smiled wisely. At the same time, Gilbert, deeply irritated, was mentally fighting against the idea. He could not see it at all. Of course, we're not turning away applicants who want to come in and learn the business right along now as it is, he said sharply. Of course, we're not turning away applicants who want to come in and learn the business right along now as it is, he said sharply. Right, so they're hiring. Oh, I know, replied his father, but not cousins and nephews exactly. Besides, he looks very intelligent and ambitious to me. Wouldn't do any great harm if we let at least one of our relatives come here and show what he can do. I can't see why we shouldn't employ him as well as another. Oh, shut up. There's a motorcycle. There's all kinds of sounds here in deepest, darkest savannah. I don't believe Gil likes the idea of any other fellow in Lycurgus having the same name and looking like him, suggested Bella, slyly, and with a certain touch of malice due to the fact that her brother was always criticizing her. Oh, what rot! Gilbert snapped irritably. Why don't you make a sensible remark once in a while? What do I care whether he has the same name or not, or looks like me either? His expression at the moment was particularly sour. Gilbert, pleaded his mother reprovingly. Well, that wasn't really pleading. Gilbert, that's better, pleaded his mother reprovingly. How can you talk so? And to your sister, too. Well, I don't want to do anything in connection with this young man if it's going to cause any hard feelings here, went on Griffith Sr. All I know is that his father was never very practical, and I doubt if Clyde has ever had a real chance. His son winced at the friendly and familiar use of his cousin's first name. <laughs> My only idea in bringing him on here was to give him a start. I have the faintest idea whether he would make good or not. He might, and again, he might not. If he didn't, he threw up one hand as much as to say, if he doesn't, we will have to toss him aside, of course. Well, I think that's very kind of you, father, observed Mrs. Griffiths, pleasantly and diplomatically. I hope he proves satisfactory. And there's another thing, added Griffiths wisely and sententiously. I don't expect this young man, so long as he is in my employ and just because he's a nephew of mine, to be treated differently to any other employee in the factory. He's coming here to work, not play. And while he is here trying, I don't expect any of you to pay him any social attention. <laughs> not the slightest. He's not the sort of boy, anyhow, that would want, that would want to put himself on us. At least he didn't impress me that way, and he wouldn't be coming down here with any notion that he was to be placed on an equal footing with any of us. That would be silly. Later on, if he proves that he is really worthwhile, able to take care of himself, knows his place and keeps it, and any of you wanted to show him any little attention, well, then it will be time enough to see, but not before then. <laughs> so I've invited him here, and you're all to ignore him. <laughs> don't pay him any attention at all don't even look at him he's to live under the stairs like harry potter by then the maid amanda assistant to mrs truesdale was taking away the dinner plates and preparing to serve the dessert but as mrs griffiths rarely ate dessert and usually chose this period unless company was present 
to look after certain stock and banking matters. Oh, Mrs. Mr. Griffiths, banking matters, which he kept in a small desk in the library. He now pushed back his chair, arose, excusing himself to his family, and walked into the library adjoining. The others remained. I would like to see what he's like, wouldn't you? Myra asked her mother. Yes, and I do hope he measures up to all of your father's expectations. He will not feel right if he doesn't. I can't get this, observed Gilbert, bringing people on now when we can hardly take care of those we have. And besides, imagine what the bunch around here will say if they find out that our cousin was only a bellhop before coming here. Oh, well, they won't have to know that, will they? said Myra. Oh, won't they? Well, what's to prevent him from speaking about it? Unless we tell him not to, or someone coming along who's seen him there. His eyes snapped viciously. At any rate, I hope he doesn't. Certainly wouldn't do us any good around here. And Bella added, I hope he's not as dull as Uncle Alan's two boys. They're the most uninteresting boys I ever did see. Bella cautioned her mother once more. End of chapter 21. So we've done it. We've completed a full chapter as we like to do here on Obscure. Gives us a fresh start when we recommence our journey. And as predicted, Clyde is coming to town. And, as predicted, I think we're going to get into a real morass here, again, along the lines of Wuthering Heights. We've got the social daughter, we've got the resentful son, and we've got the, well, he's not exactly carpetbagging, but he's taking advantage of the situation. The young Clyde Griffiths basically found on the streets of Chicago and... There, delivered to Lycurgus, where he is to be given a job and promptly ignored. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way things are done. I don't know. What do I know from good families? I'm not from one. What do, you, what do any of you know from good families? You're not from them either. We don't come from good stock, we obscure listeners. We come from penury, misery, and, of course, obscurity. <laughs> So we'll leave it there. I can't tell you how relieved I am that Dreiser has brought Clyde to Lycurgis without any more goings-on with the rich Griffiths clan. We understand who they are. We understand their position. We understand the social dynamics there between the various family members. And now we understand that Clyde is going to come in and upset that apple cart. And you know things are going to get very bad between him in Gilbert, and probably between he, him and his other cousins as well when he falls for Bella, but Myra has her eyes for him, and blah, 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 blah. Hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but I feel like the general contours of the story are emerging. So let's leave it there, and we will pick it up on another stentor, stentor, stentorious, or whatever that word was, episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time.